Welcome to Obey Your Strengths with Gallup Certified Strengths Coach, Kathy Kirsten. Our guest today was the initial investor and former chairman of Rackspace. He is a big thinker and a real estate investor with a passion for entrepreneurship. His leadership and influence has transformed San Antonio into a fertile environment where startups and entrepreneurs can flourish. He's my strengths mentor and my friend, Mr. Graham Weston. Welcome to Obey Your Strengths, Graham. Thanks, Kathy. I want to start out our podcast like we do with every guest. Share with us what your top five strengths are. Well, my top five strengths are maximizer and strategic, ideation, self-assurance, and individualization. Can you tell us a little bit about what each one plays a role in how you see the world? Well, I think that uh, maximizer is the first, uh, and I mostly tell people that the order doesn't matter very much, but you know you have to start somewhere. So maximizer, right. I think, is, is one of the strengths that defines me because I can always see how to make things better. And, um, and I, I also think that people with Maximizer can see the potential in things, right? If you walk into McDonald's and you say, wow, they should organize it like that, I think that's a Maximizer's mind. Um, and so I think that my favorite part of Maximizer is that I see potential in things. And that's in people and opportunities in you know, what, whatever it may be. And the second, my second strength is strategic. Strategic, you know, I think uh, to a lot of people wish they had the strength strategic. And I think mm-hmm. that's kind of a misguided idea. We shouldn't really envy other people's strengths. But I think strategic to me means a prioritizer. People who are strategic are looking for, for what is the most important thing we need to focus on. Uh, and strategic is also a strength that, that to me says, Number one, some things are more important than others. Mm. So let's focus on the most important things. And secondly, how can we find clarity that we can all benefit from? How can we find clarity in a world of clutter? Mm. Then there's ideation. Now, ideation is a, uh, an absolute insatiable curiosity for ideas. Um, I have a lot of knowledge. Sorry, I have a very broad knowledge that's very thin, right? <laughs> I know a little bit about a lot of things and I'm fascinated with knowing a little bit about everything. So I like to think about ideation being like grass, it kind of grows everywhere, but it doesn't grow very deep. Mm, so um, I like that, that imagery. Okay. Uh, and now ideation also means that I kind of uh, run off on tangents. Uh, what was that movie? That was a, a movie where they, they said squirrel. Uh-huh. Right. I always think about ideation being that, which is kind of running out on tangents sometimes. Also, people with ideation use a lot of analogies. Okay, self-assurance is uh, I think about as often wrong but never in doubt. Mm. Right. People with ideation they feel very strongly that their view of something is uh, they feel very strongly about their view of something, but not everything. I mean, I don't necessarily have opinions about everything. There are a lot of things I have no opinions about, but the few things that I do, I feel very strongly about. Mm-hmm. And, and also, self-assurance to me is a little bit different from uh, command. Command is more of a self, self-confidence, whereas self-assurance is more confidence about the things you believe in. Um, and then individualization is a fascination with what makes people unique. Um, the, you know, where you came from, what your background is, uh, uh, the things that interest you. And so I think that the, the people strengths that I have, if you want to call mm-hmm. them that, are really maximizer, where I see the potential in people. I can see, I can see what is good in them. Okay, And then secondly, individualization makes me actually interested in those unique things about people. You know, you and I share maximizer and individualization. Individualization is in my six through 10, but I think it's the magic combination that makes me good at what I do. Yes. And I learned about strengths from you, (laughs) a maximizer individualization person. I've experienced your individualization. When I joined Rackspace in 2006, I had already met you years prior, and I was sitting in the new employee orientation with 50 other people, and you were there telling us about strengths and telling us about the founding story of the company, and you looked at me and you said, hey, I know you, and I said, we met Two years ago at Junior Achievement. See, how do you remember that? You meet (laughs) hundreds of people per week. How in the world did you remember me? You know, like that is just, that's your individualization at work. I mean, you just have a memory, a knack for remembering people and where you met them. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's true. First of all, I think it's, it's somewhat the way that I 
you know, where you came into my life matters to me and kind of uh, that junior achievement event mm-hmm. uh, some sort of business plan Yes, who wants to be a CEO? Right, right. That yes, event sort it of. it was that event for I high remember schoolers. that and, and uh, I think it gives people the, the impression that I'm paying attention, right? <laughs> and, Absolutely. <laughs> it's a relationship builder. I mean, yeah, I was yeah, impressed. Yeah. It left an amazing impression on me that, wow, Graham Weston remembered me yeah, from yeah. years ago. So that's really cool. Oh. Individualization in action. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing your top five with us. You were an early adopter in the strengths movement. I want to hear the story of how you discovered strengths philosophy and how you began, how you introduced it at Rackspace. Because really, as one of the initial investors at Rackspace, you had um, joined the company as president too very early on, correct? Yes. So um, when I was, I was an entrepreneur sort of straight out of college and I always dreamed of finding a business uh, or business opportunity that would sort of fulfill my potential of of, uh, of being an entrepreneur. I didn't know what industry that would be. I don't. I didn't know if it would be a company with 10 employees or 10,000 employees. I had no idea. I didn't even have a sense of how big I wanted it to be. I just wanted to be, I wanted to find myself a successful entrepreneur after my career was over. Mm-hmm. And so I was involved in several different businesses and and I would say my early point of view was that I just worshipped Jack Welch. I would read books about him. He was the former CEO of General Electric. He was an incredibly successful CEO, and I just wanted to be him. Mm-hmm. And I realized that so many of the things that he espoused, um, I just wasn't very good at it. I was not a very good manager. I was not. I was not organized. I was, um, you know, I was terrible. The, my follow through skills are very weak. Um, I find it hard to keep up with my email. I mean, there's so many things that he said I needed to do well that I did not do well that I struggled to do. But because I was determined and had tons of put lots of energy into it, I would say that you know I found success despite my weaknesses. But I beat myself up all the time. I actually I did that to the point that I finally hired uh, a coach, an organization coach, to come in and help me, and and she worked with me every every Tuesday for like three hours to try to help me get organized and and to learn how how to be organized. Now I'd taken several courses in being organized, like, you know, touch a file only once, you know, work on high priority things and put all things in file folders and, you know, keep a list of to do's and, you know, back in those days it was all on paper. Right. But and I knew the mechanics of being organized, but I found the process of being organized incredibly taxing. And it's so weird for those of you who are organized; it's hard to hard to understand. But I I remember uh, after I hired this coach, um, my whole office was very happy that I'd hired this coach. They hoped that I would that be more on time, that I would stop missed meetings, that I would double book things, that I would have better follow through skills, and all those things. But after several months. Uh, they realized, I realized that I was not succeeding. And I found the process that I, that the coach was teaching me, I found to be incredibly tedious. And after about three months, I started leaving my office without my desk clean. And this was one of her real touchstones. She said, you want to leave your desk clean every single day so that you start the next day organized. Mm. <laughs> and I just found it. I, I left one day with my desk disorganized and I felt like a complete failure. And I remember that day so so vividly. And it was soon thereafter that I went to my, my colleagues and said, look, I've decided that I'm just not a very organized person. And I've, I'm afraid that my efforts to be more organized have, have not been a success. And they kind of looked at me and said, okay, what's the news you're going to tell us? <laughs> but then soon thereafter, I read this book called Soar With Your Strengths by Don Clifton. And that book really gave me a new way of thinking about my self and about the the talents that I had. And it, what it said was that that our success arises from the areas where we're strong, our areas of natural strength or weakness. Uh, sorry, strength or or talent. You know, mm-hmm. and it said that this is where our successes come from. And this just made total sense to me. And it allowed me to go in and say, I'm going to reorganize what I do around my strengths. And it really was a transformational moment for me. And 
in the, the book Swore With Your Strengths is kind of a cheap little book. The paper's not even very nice. It didn't feel like an important book at the time. And I think it was not a commercial success, really. But when I read, um, I read an article in Fast Company magazine about, uh, that was written by Marcus Buckingham. The, and then I read Marcus Buckingham's book called uh, Now Discover Your Strengths, um, and also the book First Break All the Rules. Both of these books were world-changing books to me about how companies should be managed, as well as how should we manage ourselves. And I would say between those, between those books, really, my life completely changed. And my, my view of myself completely changed. I went from where I felt that I was really a remarkably lucky, disorganized failure. <laughs> but because I really beat myself up and I felt tremendously inferior to the people who could just have their act together all the time. And I suddenly had a frame for thinking about how people fit together to play their role. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of my favorite analogies by a friend of mine was that, you know, that each of us is unique, like fingers on our hand. You know, each of our fingers are needed. And it's hard to say that one is more important than the other because we need all of our fingers. Right. So I really changed my point of view about sort of where my success was coming from and and that I was succeeding despite my weaknesses. And I really allowed myself for the first time to create a deliberate support structure that said, how do, how do I get the most productivity and impact? And that involved sort of admitting my weaknesses and asking people to help look after me. And I felt tremendously guilty about that because I really felt the idea of having having a personal assistant or having other people help you, I really felt was somewhat old-fashioned. Uh, the idea of having someone as your support person mm-hmm. or as collaborator. Mm-hmm. But I really found that, that was, that's when I think my impact uh, went up substantially. And also I really felt my, I saw that my job was, was not about the execution phase. Um, it's more the inspiration phase. It's more the direction phase and the, the how do we make the right decisions phase. And I know that when, when I met the, the founders of Rackspace, that all of my strengths came to play on that day. We met at a hamburger joint called Chester's Hamburgers. Mm-hmm. We met for five hours straight and I could just see the opportunity. I believed in the opportunity. And my partner and I looked at each other and said, look, this is something we're going to do. And I felt so confident about it. So a few weeks later, we're in business together. And I would just say that the you know today Rackspace is over six thousand employees. I mean, it's a two billion dollar a year in revenue company. And it, it's but we got off on the right foot, and we had a really a magic group of the original five founders or a magic group of people. And so, and we worked very very well together, especially at that very early phase. Even though I was terrible at the execution part. Of, of starting the company. That's where my business partner was incredibly good. That is, if without him being there, um, we probably wouldn't have gotten the deal mm-hmm. in place. And so I just, I think that as Rackspace grew from 10 people to 10, to 10 people to 6,000 mm-hmm. people, mm-hmm. I saw the strength story so many times. And you're, of course, one of the greatest success stories too. Oh, thank you. That's so kind of you. Well, I know what I've heard from Rack- from Wreckers, and that's Rackspace employees, is that the culture, the strength-based culture, many times was the first time that they felt like it was okay to be themselves in a work environment. Yes. I've heard quotes like, in many times it's when they're going through the or- new uh, employee orientation where they, they say things like, I think I'm going to get to figure out what's really great in me here. Yes. This is going to give yes. me the opportunity to do what I do best. I mean, that's yes. the stuff that Gallup writes in the books, but it's people who really believed it because they saw other people actually doing it. And that started with the founding team. Yes. Right? That started yes. with, and Pat Condon has been quoted saying, there was something magical in those five guys in that room that we each brought something different to the table, different strengths, and it wouldn't have worked if one person was missing. That's right. So I think that, and you just said it again. I mean, I think it is such a testament to the importance of partnership and understanding where where your assets are and where your liabilities are and, and not worrying about your liabilities, but bringing your assets all the time at your strengths and helping people 
bring them their own to the table too. So that's yeah. incredible. I think also one of the one of the concepts that that I think is under underestimated is that it is totally okay for individuals to have weaknesses, but it's really not okay for teams to have weaknesses. Mm. Because those weaknesses are truly they're like tripwires. They're going to they're going to trip you. Um, you don't know where they are, but they're you know they're going to trip you when you have weaknesses as a team. You're going to you're going to be uh, uh, there are going to be obstacles that you're going to uh, that are going to set you back. So you know as individuals though, obviously weaknesses are by definition things that get in the way of great performance. But I think that it is mandatory that as a team that we find ways to make sure that each of the roles that needs to be played is being played well by someone with strengths. And I think as a company gets bigger, as a company goes from five to fifty to five hundred, really it's 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 all about how do we make sure that the the critical roles have people that are super strong, and also that those weaknesses are being covered by people who who have strengths in those areas. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, a company needs organization. I'm not the person to put in charge of that, right? But but organization, while it may not be what I what I'm good at, it needs to get done and done well. And I think also it's important that. Each of these individual uh, roles may have higher pay opportunity than another one, but they are all incredibly important. In all those areas, have to be uh, need to be covered and handled. Um, so companies really do need to. They sometimes we don't focus on weaknesses enough. I think that our our potential and our success comes from strengths, but weaknesses are the things that trip us up. Mm. I think about Bernie Madoff. Oh yeah, Bernie Madoff. <laughs> yeah, did he have? You know, he was a con man, and a con man means confidence, right? Does it mean that he had too much confidence ability? I would say no. What he had was not enough integrity. He had a weakness around. He was just basically dishonest. So he used his incredible skills at salesmanship and and sort of building confidence in people. You know, people wanted to buy from him, but it was that was not his problem. It was his wasn't his confidence ability. It was his lack of integrity and honesty. So again, even a guy like Bernie Madoff ultimately got tripped up for because of his weaknesses. What a great point. So I want to talk about how we named this podcast. Yes. Okay, so yes. I, I reached out to you. I was leading employee engagement at Rackspace back in 2009, 2000 time, excuse me, 2010 time frame. And we were seeing some attrition from long tenured Rackers going on in the, in the culture, in the organization. And I was wanting to know what's going on. And I knew that you sometimes chat with long tenured Rackers on their yes. last day of work. And so I went to the top and knocked on your door and said, well, not, no, you didn't have a door, Cube, and said, hey, can we chat about why Rackers are leaving? And you gave me this great, it was like you had studied it and wrote the book on it because you said there's three reasons Rackers leave. Do you remember this conversation, Graham? A little bit. Okay, good. <laughs> you said Rackers leave because they have a bigger, better deal. We were getting poached, right? Yes. Like yeah. talent. We were very successful. Talent was growing. Of course, who's not going to go leave for a bigger title, a bigger paycheck, a bigger project, whatever it might yes. look like, right? The bigger, yeah. better dream. I you mean, some of those companies actually camped out at the Starbucks across the street. That's yeah. so true. Yeah. Yes. And just poached our people. Yeah. <laughs> and then you also said that sometimes people just need to go on an odyssey. Yes. And, we, you know, an example of that, and we've, and Lorenzo and I talked about this in, in our podcast, is that, you know, entrepreneurship, I mean, how many Rackers left Rackspace because they mm-hmm. learned about their strengths and they got the entrepreneurship bug and wanted to go try something on their own, right? Yes, and, yes. And, or they wanted to go do something that was at a higher calling, like join a mission or, or move to a different country and, right. and do something completely different because they had just built a successful life at Rackspace. I, yes. I really see that was the foundation of it. Yes. At least it was why I started my own business. Yes. Um, and then the last thing you said is, or they're not obeying their strengths. Yes. And yes. I remember thinking, obeying your strengths? Like, yeah. <laughs> I've heard playing to your strengths. I've never heard obeying yeah. your strengths. Tell me what that concept, I, I've never even read that in Gallup books. Where did that concept come from? How did you figure <laughs> that out? Well, I think that there are strengths like, like my ideation, which is more about sort of curiosity. It's like I'm insatiably curious about things uh, and I want to learn about all sorts of things. But if I don't get to use that strength for a week, that's probably okay. But I think that there's a strength like belief 
which you have. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you find your people with belief need to obey their strengths, meaning that if you are not in an organization that has values that are consistent with yours, you, you, it's not going to work. And I think that there are strengths that actually say, if you're in a job where you can't utilize your strengths adequately, I think you need to <laughs> obey your strengths and, and, and sort it out. Leave the company, uh, leave the job, change jobs. Um, but you know, you really should not stay in a job that is not um, first aligned with your strengths. But there are certain strengths that really truly need to obey, and and I need to make a list of those. Oh but yeah, I think like competition. Competition, right? That's a great one. Like right. you have right. to have competitors to, for the drive. That's right. That's right. Or or a learner might be a good Learners. one. You know, since. Okay, let's go to the third. I'd say restorative. Restorative. Oh, restorative. I would say yes. that there are people who, who are incredibly enthusiastic about a job at the beginning and all of a sudden becomes very routine and they get very demoralized. Or they're learners who, at the beginning of a new job, uh, they get so energized. The learner high, right? The learner's high. The learner. I like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a book, The Learner's High. Rackspace had something like 40% of all of our employees had right. learner. have learner mm-hmm. because they're you know geeks. Right. So learners love that first, uh, first year of learning. I mean, every single day, they're just absolutely absorbing learning all the time. But as soon as the job becomes a little bit routine, they start to wonder whether they are you know, their, their sense of, of engagement and energy dissipates because right. they're they're just turning the crank, getting the job done. Right. And really, what they're yearning for is the, is the time and permission and and the need to go and dig into something all the way. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know what? And they and so few people were self aware, or so few people yeah. people are self aware that it's just their learner that has that has hit a plateau, and that you um, need to invest in it. So. And it shows up in weird ways, right? Like in employee engagement studies, when I would be learning about people, there's a shelf life to learner, right? Or yes. your learner, your shelf life on jobs for learners, yes. like 18 months, yes, two years, where yes. if I have mastered this job and it's not changing enough to energize my learner, suddenly I feel restless yes. and bored. And that may yeah. show up like, you don't pay me enough. Yeah. I don't like my boss. I don't like this project, whatever. And then you get, you enter in something new and exciting, like, oh, can you go work on this project? And suddenly yes. engagement soars again. That's right. And we saw, I mean, I think when I did the rookie orientation uh, mm-hmm. classes, I would I would always ask, how many of you left your last job, last job because you stopped learning? And invariably, every single learner would raise their hand. So, You'd think that people leave their job because they weren't making enough money or because their boss was a jerk. Those are good reasons, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But really, most people, uh, most learners at least, leave because they stopped learning, because they have this curiosity and capacity to to go very deep, to learn everything there is about a topic. And when that is not harnessed, you must obey it. I mean, the, you need to find an outlet for that. There's such a thirst for going deep on things by learners that um, you know you must obey it you have to go find an outlet for that um, and I used to say in, in our orientation classes you left your last job because you stopped learning you're gonna love this new job for a couple of years but then your challenge is don't change jobs just because you stopped learning you need to find a way to stay with the same company but keep learning so that was the challenge: was to say, don't quit jobs. Don't quit your job every time you slow down and learning, because there's so many different aspects to every company. So I think that you know that is you need to go actively find what that next mission is, mm-hmm. um, and that's why I think strengths need to be obeyed, because you. This is often what drives us into a funk. Is I think restorative is another one. Restorative people with restorative are uh, I think about like firefighters. Uh, are people with restorative because when the when they sit around all day long waiting for that alarm bell to ring but when it rings you want a firefighter to have restorative to rescue from a car crash to come and put out the house fire that is the people with restorative are truly extraordinarily adrenaline driven people and they're when 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 there is a need to get something fixed they are driven. They are focused. They are absolutely at their best. But when when every single day turns r- routine, and there's no 
need to restore things or to fight fires or to solve problems. Mm-hmm. Um, most engineers are restorative. Yes. Because they are problem solvers. The more urgent the problem, the better. But as soon as things become routine, I think uh, uh, people rest- restorative get into a funk. And they start to, to uh, you know, their mind goes, goes wild thinking about, well, I'm not where I should be. You know, the boss is a jerk and look at all this boring stuff and I'm wasting my potential. And, and really it all comes down to uh, that they are not getting to exercise or utilize that strength. As I've coached in the last five years and independently outside of Rackspace and done lots of individual coaching, I've learned that all 34 strengths have needs. Yes. Right? They all yes. have needs of a certain type and those strengths are hungry and that you have to feed them. And yes. if you don't, you have internal dissonance that then manifests itself in yes. other ways. And sometimes it's just you have low energy or not a lot of clarity in your purpose or your drive. And sometimes it's even worse where you just feel toxic in the job you're in or, or the, um, the, the business that you're in. So, man, they are, obey your strengths is a yeah. thing. Yeah, well, it is, it is. And I think, I think also that you know, there are, are magic moments during a, a role or an employment, whether it's a, a marriage or whether it's mm-hmm. a, um, a, a job, where you can, you can look back and think, wow, those are great times because I really was at my best. I mean, I know many, many mothers look back and with their kids were little and say, wow, that was really hard work. I loved it. And to me, that that is the telltale sign of strengths being put put to work where people f- where think about the mom who's incredibly hardworking, absorbed, consumed by demands by the kids, um, working so incredibly hard, but also feels so rewarding. And I think that that is the an example of, of home life. But those same examples happen at work. Absolutely. And yeah. In 2008-ish, I know I'd heard you talk about your vision of what a strength-based city might look like. Was that in your vision? Was that an ideation moment? Or do you see a potential for an entire city to be strength-based? I do. I do. I think that um, Rackspace was definitely, or is, a definitely a strength-based company. Right. Um, as you mentioned, you know, people come up to me all the time and say that they, they really, uh, they found something in themselves mm-hmm. during mm-hmm. their time at the company. Um, I think there is an opportunity for San Antonio to be a strength-based city, for any city to be. Any city would be better off if it were strength-based. Um, I don't know that we've gotten all the way there. But I think that the idea of strengths is is pretty mainstream now. I think that um, there is a lot greater acceptance for strengths-based thinking than there was uh, a decade ago. And I, I think we're still working on this strength-based city. Um, to me, it starts of saying, how do you ultimately get kids and their parents to think in a strengths-based way? And I think that there are universities that are following strengths. There are high schools following strengths. But I think the sooner people start to frame their natural uh, abilities Mm -hmm. as being the wellspring for their success, I think that is the most important framing of what strengths, uh, the strengths, you know, a strengths-based city needs to see its, its natural abilities and assets as being the things to guard and, and, and ultimately to foster. So, You've experimented with strengths in universities with, you know, whether it's through your thought leadership at different universities around strengths or helping high schoolers understand and learn their strengths. Um, How, in your own experience, at what age, I know what Gallup says and the science says, but like in your working knowledge as a strengths coach and a thought leader and um, mentor in this area, what do you? Th- how do you see human development working? I mean, do you think that we can really see people's strengths when they're in their high school years? Oh, I think you could see them when they're little, because my uh, my middle son is very uh, competitive, um, and he has been competing with his brothers, um, even though it was kind of one way competition. Right? He would be being determined to beat them at video games, and they were going, "Yeah, we want to win," but. The brother wants to win more, right? So I saw the str- those strengths come out at very, very young age. Mm. So I think that strengths definitely come out early. Um, the question is when 
when do you start to really help the kids think about their strengths and foster their strengths? And that's probably in the early teens. You know, I think that as parents, we can, if we see an opportunity to provide sort of extracurricular uh, uh, training or education, I think that obviously the, the more strengths-based, the better. But I also think that during the early days, you want to make sure that you that you really have access to or exposure to a lot of different things. And that ultimately, the older you get, the more you want to f- narrow down. Right. Right. I mean, I think all three of my kids... Uh, did did chess competitions in the early years, but only really one of them really got jazzed by the competitions, and so it didn't didn't make sense to have the other two push the other two to keep doing chess. Or, you know, um, my oldest son does a crazy sport called horseback archery, and he was the only one interested in it, and so you know it was something that it naturally emerged as as a, as an interest and a talent and a strength for him. So it made sense to to foster that. You know. One of the hardest parts of being a strength-based parent is allowing there to be weaknesses. It also could be the fact I'm a maximizer, and I part of my maximizer is a little bit raw, where I just want my kids to be great at everything. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Which it needs to develop and mature, I realize that. But yeah. as a, another, a fellow parent with maximizer, tell me a little bit. Your kids are grown. Your, my kids are little, 10 and under. Yours are all high school and above, right? So yes. you have a 17-year-old as your youngest now. Yes. Um, has it been hard for you as a maximizer and in, in seeing areas of, of potential in your kids that they're perhaps not pursuing or that they have weaknesses? It is hard when someone is struggling with a school subject. It's, it is very hard to sweep it under the rug and say it doesn't matter because, of course, it matters. You know, if your child is doing bad at math or reading, we, we naturally say, how do we help you with those areas? I think the harder thing to say is to the harder thing to do is to accept that weakness is a manifestation that is probably in there for good. Mm. And so, if someone is not good at math, um, let's get through the math stuff. And uh, even though it's not going to be great, we don't, we're not going to make excuses for for. You know, I think hard work is another. You know, being able to apply yourself and do something that you don't like to do is another strength. Right. right? Stick to it. Stick to it. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. It's very important in my household. <laughs> and, and, and so, I mean, I do think that sometimes, you know, one of the strategies for overcoming a weakness is work really hard at it. Okay. Right. Invest a lot more than you want to. <laughs> and, and so, and, and while that may not bring the outsized returns, outsized impact that you'd like, I think that sometimes that you just have to. Uh, apply yourself and hunker down and and compensate for the lack of of strength um you know compensate for the weakness right yeah, um, right so yeah i think i think but also the idea of stick-to-itiveness or determination or tenacity these are you know a, a tenacious person is not going to be uh, defeated by a weakness right and so i think that part of what you're trying to do is to say uh you know every day is not roses and not every you're not allowed to just focus on the school subjects that you love. You actually have to bring out those other strengths, which is tenacity, determination, um, and an ability to face uh, adversity and pain. Right. 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 And so that is actually, you know, part of, I actually think an awful lot of school is that, which is being able to get an assignment, get it done, turn it in, and actually commit to an imaginary deadline. You know, mm-hmm, imaginary mm-hmm. deadline is the teacher says it's due on this date. And finally, that date comes and and some people commit to getting the work done and some people don't. An awful lot of school is teaching people uh, or giving giving students the opportunity to accept that goal as their own. And uh, even though it's the teacher's goal, it's not theirs. Being able to hunker down and get it done, even in a subject you don't like, is actually part of what school does. It's maybe the most one of the most important things school does. Businesses ask us to do it. I yeah. mean, you know, I had to turn in expense reports, even though I hated oh. tracking receipts right. and doing all. I mean, like that was a thing I had to do, yeah. right? So, I mean, we're asked to do things. That's why it's called work. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know what? You just reminded me of this this drive. 
You know, some strengths, some people have strengths that just naturally bring that drive to the table. And in my coaching practice, I've met more than one. There's actually a theme of people I have coached who happen to have the combination of achiever and responsibility. And the storyline is similar in many ways across all clients in that they have taken a job, they did a great job, achiever, right? They worked very hard, they gave it their all, they were so dependable responsibility mm-hmm. in that role and worked hard that they, they then got invited or asked or moved to go do another project. And how they end up in coaching with me is through, uh, they have found that they are at a point in their career and they said, wait a minute, how did I get here? This is not what I started out. This was not my initial intent to be where I am today in this middle management or where I am today working for this. You know, I had a dream at one point. I can't remember what it was, but it wasn't this. So help me, Kathy, figure out my mission. So I do some personal mission uh, statement coaching and help me figure out what my purpose is. And, you know, through coaching, we kind of unravel this idea that their achiever and responsibility sort of got them they're so dependable to other people and they want to help people and they yes. do such a good job. So the, that combination of drive yes. and dependability to yeah. others has led them very far off their career track. Yes, yes. I, I think people with responsibility gain so, they're constantly yearning to come through for people. They want to be seen as dependable, as as being someone that can be relied upon. Mm-hmm. And it's just very easy for people with responsibility to be rely, to be so eager, so willing to be relied on that they're always working on other people's goals. Oh, that is so good. Ooh, that's a good. Yeah. That's so good. I mean, I look at they they had a lot of satisfaction along the way. Absolutely, right? but it just got yeah. them off track. I think. I think also that um, look. I I have worked with a number of people who've reached a breaking point. Uh, mm. Where, you know, I think that where where achiever responsibility is a great example because yes. because they are so committed, they have also a lot of capacity for productivity. Absolutely, right? they also get a little charge of energy every time they get stuff done, every time they get they come through for the boss or for their colleague, but they simultaneously take on too much, mm-hmm. right, and and overcommit themselves and beat themselves up when and they beat don't themselves deliver. up. And yeah. beat themselves up. Ah, um, and so it's I think burnout that, with a capital B, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> is that it where is, you're going? It is. <laughs> it is. And I think that the, I think that it's it's very easy for for them to be working very long hours and ultimately find that that they are uh, that that they have been pursuing other people's goals, mm-hmm. right? So I mm-hmm. think that's. I think also there's there's um, in some at some level, it. There are sort of there are strengths desiring to get something done every hour, which is achiever strength. Right. The desire to come through for people, uh, related uh, responsibility. Um, these are are on one hand very good strengths because I'm saying they're they're all good. Strengths, they're all of good. Course, yeah, yeah. But they're all but, good. But I mean, these are strengths that that can be satisfied in a very short period of time. And, and so it's very hard to sometimes think long-term, hmm. right? And so you can get a little bit, you can, uh, you can get a little bit off track uh, or find yourself having spent so much energy and not ultimately pursued the goals of your own, hmm. right? I've been thinking a lot about talent as a filter. This is just the idea that it filters what comes in. Like literally our top five sometimes will filter what information we're taking in in an environment or from a person because our we're consuming this information through our own, own lens of strength. And it also filters what comes out. So let's think about command, like the strength of command. Man, when someone's talking to a person with command, What's going through the command's head? When are they going to pause so I can say what I want to say, right? <laughs> or, mm. or oh, I'm, I, I sense chaos and I'm fixing to jump in here and take leadership. Right. Right? right. I, it, they're waiting to jump in to take command. And then what comes out of command is usually direct and sometimes not very tactful. <laughs> right? It's, it's very, sometimes sharp. Yeah, sometimes. Sometimes, I, if, it, if it's okay, if it's, not if, all if it's paired with paired with a paired with a activator. Oh, but yes. I think especially, you know, I think that command is has a natural uh, sense of like 
someone should be in charge, right? Right. I would be a perfect person to be in charge. Yes. Right. Right. And so I think that by by its nature, you end up with a lot of people in charge. In charge. Right. Right. And (laughs) and often very good at it because they're they're, they want to step forward, uh, and they believe in themselves as as the leader. Absolutely. Oh, you just reminded me that whenever I went, um, I went to the outskirts of Mexico City to work with a nonprofit of missionaries that were trying to solve the problem of poverty in the mountains of Mexico City. The most brilliant and influential thinkers I have ever met in my life. I'm sitting across from one, so that for you're one of those. But the, the gentleman who had the idea of how to serve, uh, how to create the solution that was going to solve this poverty problem in Mexico City and they're working towards it the five people on the executive team four of them had command wow and the strength session that we did lasted more than 12 hours wow I went down there for a four hour strength session or maybe a five hour you know I didn't know we did not stop and it was in Spanish so I was being translated I mean it was the most intense strength session and at nine o'clock i said i am at nine o'clock p.m i said i am done y'all like i can't i have no more coaching in me but it was command Mm. all across the board but before they had taken their strengths they were just fighting they didn't have a word or or an idea Mm. of like what is getting in our way it's that we all have these really strong leadership desires that we should move in this direction and so they were they were constantly battling each other in in today's world there is a lot of focus on diversity and I think that one of the things that kind of gets lost is the we actually want diverse thought. Right. And I think that, you know, the idea is, of course, we want to create diverse opportunity. People of, of color, males, females should all have opportunities that are similar. You know, we should have no group of people that have less opportunity than another. But I think that really what, what delivers results is diversity of thought. And I think that adding women to a team that's mainly male brings diversity of thought more than diversity of gender, right? That's the idea is that it, that let's, let's make sure that in addition to giving all people equal opportunity, that we're ultimately trying to run a business with the best results or trying to build a, create a nonprofit best results and diversity of thought is tremendously important. So I think let's, let's make sure that, that we, that, that diversity of thought is there. This missionary story is very interesting to me because having four, an organization with four leaders with, with command, is, it just isn't going to work because all four of them are probably right in their own way. And they, they're probably all equally able to go and pursue their mission um, you know, at a very high level. But all four of them probably are not going to get the job done. Um, that is, if they have to work together, and if they they're probably not, they do not have the diversity of thought that they're going to really need to succeed. I think um, I would just say that it is that is probably a formula for you know a non the fact that you had a, a nonprofit missionary organization all with command s- says something really interesting. I wonder what it is about this particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I think what it so. Part of their, to, to go a little deeper, the mission that they're on is to fight against the corruption that is yes. going on on these, the, the people who are in poverty, right? I mean, it is it is unbelievable how there's so much corruption and just getting drinking water or yeah. electricity. Yeah. And these, I, I sense that their command felt called to that because they could stand up for the little guy who can't stand up for himself. Yes, yes. And they felt like this is my chance to rise to the occasion. I'm the right. I'm, I'm the kind of person who rises to the occasion. So they were called for that. So they moved down there. But I think the well, the ones that had hired me were American, and then the other folks were from other countries, and, and then there were, there were some like Native Mexicans that were there and doing the work of their people, right? too much command and when i followed up with them later on the team had disintegrated parts of the team had disintegrated because some of the command had learned to partner well like i take care yes. of this you take care of that yes uh but parts disintegrated yes yeah i would not i would not expect a team of command people with command to work as peers very well i think people with command need to have really clear sense of authority 
and and I think that uh, that uh, without that clarification, without the clear duties and sense of of authority, I think you're going to continue to to you know you're going to spend a lot of effort on on uh, on conflict, mm-hmm. right? Which is of course you know activators believe in conflict, but <laughs> you don't right. want to have a ton of conflict that right. w- wastes a lot of time. Right. But I mean that's I think that you probably had a lot of belief in that group as well. Oh, absolutely. Right. 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 So absolutely. That's a I, great I think point. that people with belief yes. tend to be drawn to um, charitable missions. They tend to be drawn to the military. They tend to be drawn to spiritual or religious uh, causes mm-hmm. as well. And if I think about someone giving their lives to help a village, uh, you know, rural village in Mexico, I think about having belief would be a real asset, right? Also, people with command are very tough they're very resilient. They're not affected by little criticisms or, you know, they're not, they, they feel they're very tough. They're courageous. And so to be in a, in a, uh, to be a foreigner mm-hmm. in a small village cor- in Mexico that is corrupt, I can understand how, how it is the only the tough survive, right? You kind of have to be prepared to be, have a little intimidation. Absolutely. Right. In order yeah. to just survive. So when some of self-selecting bias, right? Yeah. So. Oh, the people so without command may have quit. <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, there, there's a, another gentleman that I'm coaching, totally different. Uh, he's in London, and I'm coaching him, and he's got self-assurance, command, activator, and responsibility, and I think achiever, if that's his top five. And he's in the computer world. He's a geek. He's actually in security uh, operations. But he yearns to do things of high risk. Yeah. And I'm like, you were built to be a firefighter. Wow. You were built to be an, a first responder. Yes. And he gets frustrated because he's a, he's a director level. He's at the director yes. level. And he's frustrated with their lack of urgency of the security team around him. And I'm thinking, man, you're just in the wrong. Like, I, if I am in a car accident, I want you, yes. the first guy to show up yes. to get me out of this car accident. Like, you have got the build for to do high risk, high um, intense situations. He makes great decisions. He has great judgment. He trusts his gut. He goes. Security may be the right field, but but he may be in the wrong uh, role. Right. I think about uh, one of the best internet security companies uh, that Rackspace ever worked with is a company called CrowdStrike. And they were like the Navy SEALs. You know, when you have a big problem, they, they descend from the skies and, and work 24-7 to get you out of a jam. And, you know, it could be that, that being in a role like that, you know, waiting to be called in, uh, to a situation where the urgency is very, cl- very uh, clear, I think activators often get frustrated with the uh, uh, they get impatient, they get frustrated with the lack of urgency of things, and I think the problem is is it that activators feel absorbed by that sense of urgency and the emotion mm-hmm. of that, mm-hmm. and when they don't find that shared by their peers, it, it's very demoralizing, frustrating. And um, mm-hmm. it makes them want to disengage. Um, but I think that the activators also need to realize that their sense of urgency is at a, is always turned to ten, and <laughs> yes. and therefore they need they need to find themselves operating in places where that is w- warranted and rewarded. And a lot of operating companies, if you go if you go to go to your local Target, the local the manager of the Target is there's nothing urgent right now. Someone just shoplifted over here and something broken on aisle three but all of those little problems don't uh, don't rise to the level of, of a sort of urgency to the manager right or you know not all jobs uh, are as urgent as the activator perceives them so I would say go go find a role that that allows that's rewarded allows right? you to obey your activator yeah, yeah. Right. right I think I need a coaching session with you on my maximizer oh I I need to like tone it down. <laughs> I need to understand my maximizer because it's hard to see it for yeah. yourself whenever you see the lens through maximizer all the time. So well, I, I, I do think maximizers need to understand that their desire to make things better is seen by a lot of people as being criticism. Yes. Right. Especially at home. With my right? kids. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Right. And I think that actually one of the things that's helpful about having the language of strengths is it allows you to explain that you see certain things so acutely that 
having people understand that if they want to joke about your maximizer, it's probably a good way to diffuse the notion that you're being critical of them. Mm-hmm. It, it, that showed up all yeah. the time in my teams at Rackspace. Yeah. Right. Like stop maximizing Kathy. It's good enough. Like, or, yeah. you know, what do you, and I learned tricks. So instead of me starting out with my maximizer comments, cause I right. had them always right. after observing a trainer, cause we were in the training world at Rackspace university. And I would say, before I go through my list of things, tell me what you saw that you went, you did well and what things you want right. to improve. So I let them take the owner ownership of some of their feedback first, and then I would affirm and then help, you know, add on to that. But my maximizer is constantly saying, oh, if you just would have done this, if you just could have right. done that, if right. it just would have been this. I always want to redo. Yes. Always. Yeah. Tonight, I'll lay in bed and think about, oh, I wish I would have asked Graham X. Yes. Yes. I missed an opportunity. But see, that that desire to for things to be great is an incredibly strong asset. That I think that maturing in thinking about strengths right. is right. to say, how do we ultimately make that most effective, most impactful? And I think that your little trick of saying, I'm not going to maximize the beginning of a meeting is a very good one. And it's a way, it's not that the maximizer is 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 ever uh, bad. The problem is, is that there are windows of opportunity in every discussion and every relationship. Um, you're talking about a serious subject to your husband. I mean, there are times not to do it. We know that, right? Right. Uh, right. First thing away, morning, Sunday morning may not be the time to do it, or or Friday night may not be the time to do it. There are windows of opportunity, and so understanding that your maximizer may really want to make a comment, but if your goal is to have impact not just to say it that is that's when you need maturity about where is the how can i give this feedback to have maximum influence or impact and that little bit of information applies to all strengths doesn't it absolutely harmony needs to remember that sometimes conflict is inevitable and sometimes it's a good it's a good thing right empathy needs to know that sometimes it's okay that somebody's going to get their feelings hurt yes right i mean self-assurance sometimes needs to know that they can't be right all the time yes Yes, (laughs) so i said yeah i mean i'm just thinking like how that applies to all of them yes managing your strengths like a a volume a dial understanding about how it um that you know kathy you're a maximizer sometimes people see you as critical and when you go to someone with someone with responsibility and immediately give give maximizer feedback they're gonna go you know damn i just can't get to ha- get i can't i can't impress i can't her. i can't, can't impress her i can't no. come through for her yeah and also i i think that part of strengths is accepting who you are and the other part of strengths is helping accept, honor, and realize that the strengths of others are exactly the way they were made. You know, exactly as they should be and as they are. Yes. Right? Right. And And appreciate it about them. Like when you said, I love that you said honor because we do need to appreciate their differences versus... I was sitting in a a, uh, very tall building in Philadelphia, the Comcast building on a very high floor doing an executive workshop. And I literally heard the leader, maybe I shouldn't tell the story. I literally heard the leader say to another person across the room who had achiever that you're going to grow out of that. Yeah. And I was like, (gasps) like, we're so misaligned. I shouldn't be here doing strengths coaching with this team. We were like me and the leader are not aligned on what this strengths thing is because he, she just told the guy across from her that he's going to grow out of his achiever. Like I used to be that way, but I grew out of it. Oh no. Like, that's, yeah. We missed the point yeah, here. Yeah, exactly. And I looked at her card. She had self-assurance. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> and exactly. I thought, oh, I, well, there's yeah. no proving anything to her. So yeah. anyway. Well, but I think I think that 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 manager would benefit by really understanding that you know criticizing someone's strengths is not a very good way to to bring out the best in them. Right. Right. I mean, it's also it's really a way of thinking that says that. I'm okay the way that I am. Mm-hmm. I need to uh, accept that that the the natural way my mind works, we need to harness that and make the most of it, right? And that's that's one aspect of it. The other one is that the way we tend to judge people through our own lens. I'm good at math. I've been good at math my entire life. And it's very easy for me to say, what do you mean? You can't do those numbers in your head? You are weak. When actually... 
we need to all realize that we tend to judge people from our own strengths when actually it that is if we're all doing that it means that we're always going to have respect for only the people who are like us and actually the, like all the fingers on your hand we need all the different roles in this organization to work that is we need all the different strengths to come together and cover up those weaknesses and I, again the more the more you think that we that only people who think like you and or are like you uh, that if, if everyone has to be like you you're going to have enormous weaknesses in your organization to me that's the cardinal sin which is we can all have weaknesses but our teams cannot have weaknesses and when you have a leader that you mentioned who sees certain strengths as being immature well you better get ready to have an organization that has very prominent weaknesses mm. right mm-hmm. i i think that one of the things that individualization does is it tends to find good in people in every role and i think this is one of the reasons why it's a you know powerful people strength um, because it sort of sees the value in every role and i think that ultimately you know you need leaders who are able to to find value in every role um, because other, if you think accounting is is dumb, you're going to end up with uh, people, uh, you know, w- people in accounting who are resentful or the good ones who leave. If you think that the people in sales are dumb, you know, you'll find the same thing there. And so I think that this is part of the challenge of every senior leader is to find value in each part of their organization and to see that that preventing a weakness from emerging in the team is mm-hmm. critical to him or her. I think what we learned at Rackspace is it strengths I'm very proud of of the way we implemented strengths at Rackspace but I always sold strengths as something that the individual takes control of and I didn't really promise employees that the company would always think in a strengths-based way I wanted us to but the boss just wants to get his or her job done and what your strengths are, what you want to do every day, in the short run, doesn't matter to that person. It just doesn't matter to the boss. Like, get the job done. Get the job done. I need to get your job done. In the long run, your strengths matter a lot. Mm-hmm. In the short run, the job, the boss just wants to get the job done and wants to find people who can get things done. So I really think strengths are, the idea of strengths is much more of a, of a, a way of thinking for the individual, for you as the as the the mother, the father, the parent, the employee, the boss, in your role, how do you get the most out of your potential? Rackspace works very hard to think in a strengths-based way. But I think that whether the boss looks to, looks at you and says, Kathy, I know this isn't with your strengths, so I'm not going to make you do it. I think that's unrealistic. And I think that it's also... Uh, that ultimately we have to work together to get the job done. Whether it's your church, whether it's your family, you know, somebody's got to get the laundry done. Whether they want to, whether it's your strengths or not, the job has to get done. And so I think that you know we shouldn't use strengths as an excuse to not doing things that we need to do. Um, but I think in the, in the long run, at the strengths are the only wellspring of our success. Um, I like the example of the Rain Man. You know, Dustin Hoffman mm. and Rain Man, he couldn't drive, he couldn't tie his shoes, he could do hardly anything, but he was great at math and he could gamble mm-hmm. and win at the gambling table. Mm-hmm. Well, that I think is a lot of a lot of the way our strengths play, play out. In the Rain Man, Dustin Hoffman was very extreme. He had an inc- brilliance around numbers, he couldn't do anything else. Most of us are much more in the middle where we're not as brilliant and we're also not as weak. But I think that still, we the, the most important way to manifest success in our lives is by finding the things, the areas where we're strong, and trying to focus as much of our time in there as possible. And ultimately, helping those around us become our allies and our partners, our cheerleaders, our supporters, the people who ultimately will help foster our success and honor the way we are the way we're strong, the way we're weak, and also people who want to see us succeed. One of the most important ways that we express value for for each other is in seeing people's potential. 
it's probably more than saying thank you. It's probably more than giving someone a raise. Um, what it says is, Kathy, for a long time, I have seen your potential. And it is an honor to sit across from you in this podcasting booth and seeing that potential play out. And you know that I feel that way about you. Aww. And I know that it means something to you. So I think that when we focus on people's strengths, it really says, you've got a lot to give. Go for it. Use your strengths. Your strengths can take you so far. To learn more about Kathy Kirsten, visit her website, kathykirsten.com. That's K-A-T-H-Y-K-E-R-S-T-E-N.com. Obey Your Strengths is produced by Geekdom Media in association with Game Day Media Enterprises. Executive produced by Lorenzo Gomez, John Garcia, and Michael Largent.